ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. Hi, I'm Sam Hawley, coming to you from Gadigal Land. This is ABC News Daily. In just under five weeks' time, we'll be heading to a referendum to vote yes or no to a voice to Parliament. So as it draws nearer, how are First Nations communities in some of the most remote parts of the country feeling about the proposed constitutional change? Today, voice correspondent Dan Borsha on his Four Corners investigation and what sort of nation we will be the day after the vote. Dan, you've been travelling around the country speaking to people, particularly First Nations people, about the voice. First, take me to Brewarrina. Where's that? Brewarrina is a small town in the northwest of New South Wales. When you go there, there's just bush and countryside for as far as the eye can see. It's a really small town, very conscious of its ancient Indigenous history, but also around the impact of colonisation. It was one of those places that children and young people were brought to from far and wide uh, as a result of the policies of the stolen generations. Mm-hmm. And someone I spoke to was Nyemba woman, Grace Gordon. Now, she's lived there for all of her life. She talks to me about her own experiences around domestic violence and how she really found her own voice through advocating for others uh, in dealing with domestic and family violence. It was very personal for me, you know. Um, I, I myself, you know, was a victim of domestic violence and when that was happening to me, we didn't have these types of services out in these remote communities. And was part of a group that established safe houses for Aboriginal women across that stretch of outback New South Wales. Our women didn't really want to be, you know, putting their men in jail. They didn't like the violence. They wanted the violence to go away. So we thought if we developed a model like this, when the women knew that things were going to start to escalate, that the women could ring and say, you know, we'd like to come in for the weekend. Dan, you also visited Walgett. Where's that? And what did you learn from the people there? Yeah, Walgett is about an hour away and we were there to understand this intersection point between this big discussion we're having about the cost of living crisis and the voice to parliament. And so I got to meet so many people from all walks of life. One of those was a gentleman named Vic who was just standing there and we just struck up a yarn and got talking. And he told me about his dad being a member of the Stolen Generation taken from his family and put in a boy's home just because he was Aboriginal. There was a lot of hurt for a lot of years because, you know, we didn't know what was happened to him in the past. And that really affected us as a family. You also spoke to Gary and Jenny Trindle. They were delivering vegetables and fresh fruit. Yeah, I certainly did. And Gary and Jenna, yeah, these forces of nature. They said that there was a need, that they were told that people needed this help and so that's what they wanted to do to respond and they just galvanised the whole community together to do just that. There's a lot of people out there less fortunate than us 
haven't got the drive that me and my family have got. And they're the people that we need to help. So, Dan, it sounds like there are pretty serious issues in the towns that you went to, but it also sounds like the locals are finding ways to try and solve them. Yeah, they certainly are. And this is a story that I've been hearing across the nation as I've been travelling around in the course of covering the referendum this year. The great similarity, Sam, has been that when there's an issue in a community and there are members of that community that have got the power and authority in that town or that place to do something, then they really aim to do that. Mm-hmm. And in many instances, it's it's defined quite clearly as local solutions for local problems. Yeah, so it's a voice at a local level. Well, essentially. So there's an organisation called uh, the Murdy Parkey Regional Assembly, which covers about 40% of the state of New South Wales. Mm-hmm. In amongst that, there are these 16 working parties. Now, each of those represents a local area. So when we were in Walgett, uh, it turned out that Gary was the chair of, of the working party there. Grace was the chair of the similar version in Brewarrina. And so what they do is they bring people together and they hear what's happening on the ground. And at that point, they take that to the next level up and they put all of those points of view and those perspectives to the broader assembly. And that's where then discussions are had about, right, what are the parallels between your community and mine? And and what are some of the the solutions that you're doing that might work here? Or what about what we're doing? And and how do we lobby governments or the like for funding or for resources Mm. or whatever it is that's required? Mm, All right. Okay, so Dan, there sounds like there's a bit of a crossover between these local groups and what the Indigenous Voice to Parliament could do. So what do the people you spoke to think about the voice referendum? Well, I think it's a good point that you made, and it's one Mm. that struck me as I was travelling around. And I put that to Gary and I said, is this the type of model that could be a regional or local voice that would feed in to the national voice that we're discussing that we're all going to be voting on in this referendum in October. And he said that he didn't think that there was the need for the national voice. This is the worst thing, Dan. They're trying to put something on us and not telling us what it's going to be. And I will not support that. He doesn't want people that aren't from his town, from his community, speaking about what should happen for the local needs on the ground. I will not support people that are living in Sydney to make decisions for me and my family. Listening to you about Murray Parkey, I'm wondering, well, isn't that essentially a possibility to be a local regional voice that then feeds in? So issues that are coming out of Walgett come through you to your chair and then go to that's right. that national body. That, that's exactly right. But your voice is only as good as the person that's representing you. And it was quite a similar story, Sam, when we were in Brewer and I spoke to Grace Gordon about this. And she wants there to be an avenue where people from remote communities like hers get to be involved in the decision-making process. So I would like to see more of people from our remote communities being, I suppose, involved in the hierarchy, if you want to call it that to be able to take our voices really to the table to get some real traction and real outcomes. To be devil's advocate, is that what a voice to parliament is? 
Well, I'd, well, that's what they're perceiving it to be, but I still don't see that it's in what we see as a real voice to Parliament. And one of the recurring themes that was cutting through of, of so many people was a lack of trust in governments mm. and government structures because of the way that those people had experienced that in their life. But there were those that could also see the benefit in a model of the, the voice in the referendum. Vic, who we touched on a moment ago from Walgett, he really talked about what he could see as the upside of the voice. If it's going to benefit our communities, then we've all got to be in it. And I'm even talking about non-Aboriginal people too. We've all got to come together, start telling the truth about what's happened in the past, learn from it, go forward. All right, so Dan, there seems to be some really different views among those people you spoke to. Why do you think that is? There's such a cross-section of how people feel about this. Sam, I think what this has raised is the complex situation for many Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people in reckoning and understanding and how we fit in with the society around us and what it means to be an Aboriginal person in Australia right now grappling with your sense of identity when there is so much change happening. Another conversation that I had, Sam, was with Yorta Yorta man Ian Ham, who is himself a member of the Stolen Generation. Now, he was adopted as a baby. He says the voice to Parliament is really about reconciling all of this, about Australia coming to terms with its history. For me, it's not about the Uluru Statement. It's not about sovereignty. It's not about advocacy. What do you as an Australian believe in your heart of hearts when you vote? Should the Aborigines, your fellow Australians, be able to speak? I use the term Aborigines because the way the discussion has been happening about this referendum, there are days when I'm not sure if it's 2023 or it's 1963. Then there are lots of First Nations people who are sceptical or flat out don't believe that an advisory body, which is what the voice to parliament would be, is simply enough to improve the lives of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. One of the people I spoke to was writer, journalist and Gunai Kurnai man Ben Abadangelo, who says the voice is a mediocre first step. 235 years plus of brutal subjugation. I don't want to take a small step in quicksand with my feet tied together. I want to lift us up out of it. I want to dream and remember what it is like to live freely, autonomously, independent. You know, I want to maintain my dignity in, in pursuing that. Then we heard people's experiences that really surprised me. One of those was in Brewarrina, bus driver Jason Ford. Now, he actually supports The Voice, but he's been told by his elders to vote no. Once my elder tells me, uh, something. I've got to respect what they say. Regardless, I don't ask questions about that. You know, I've just got to respect my culture and, and my, you know, my elder. And that's just the way it is. Look, there really isn't a simple answer about whether or not Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people want the voice to get up or not. This is a really difficult conversation for a lot of people. Yeah, of course. All right. So, Dan, tell me, whether Australia votes yes or no... What does the country look like on Sunday, the 15th of October, the day after the referendum, do you think? Sam, this is a question that I've been 
grappling with, thinking about, Mm -hmm. I think regardless of the outcome, yes or no, the next day we're going to have to have a conversation about what happened the night before, what happened in the months leading up to that point, and what does it tell us as a nation about our next steps as a country? And so there's both an opportunity and a challenge for us as a nation it's really up to all of us to decide what those next steps are. Twice in my lifetime, my countrymen will get to judge my worth as a human being. That is heavy, heavy for us, but it's a heavy thing for the rest of Australia to think about, and it's got to think about it seriously and not with these superficial distractions that are happening. From the yes and no case. I think we are set either way for some bad times ahead, but. I think it'll be a regenerative moment if that no vote comes through and it should be exciting for everyone. It feels like we have this great opportunity now. We are capable of getting it right now. Dan Borscher is the ABC's voice correspondent. The referendum, the first in more than two decades, will be held on Saturday the 14th of October. It's compulsory for all adults to vote. This episode was produced by Bridget Fitzgerald, Nell Whitehead and Anna John, who also did the mix. Our supervising producer is David Cody. I'm Sam Hawley. ABC News Daily will be back again tomorrow. Thanks for listening.